Hello, everybody. This is Alex Barthet with the Barthet Construction Law Firm. And today we're going to talk about pay when paid provisions, specifically why they suck and how to get paid anyways. So let's go ahead and get started. On today's agenda, we are going to talk about what a pay when paid provision is, um, what the magic language looks like that makes a pay when paid provision valid and enforceable. And then we'll talk about what to do if you're the general contractor, what to do if you're the subcontractor. Um, we'll talk about your lien and bond rights and how they're affected by pay when paid provisions. And as always, we will answer any questions you may have. Um, and the way that we uh, that you can ask your questions <clears throat> is uh, use the go to webinar question and answer uh, section and we will answer all the questions at the end. Please make sure not to include any names of people or companies in your questions. Um, all right, so let's get started. So let's start with understanding what a pay when paid provision is. Said simply, it is a provision in a written contract that shifts the risk of non-payment from one party to another. Where we see it most common is between general contractors and subcontractors, but it also exists between subcontractors and sub-subcontractors. So let's take a look at some example uh, sample provisions um, so you understand how it works, what it looks like, um, but just know that these are valid legal defenses in the state of Florida, meaning if you have a pay when paid provision in your contract, then, uh, and it's enforceable, uh, a court is going to enforce it and you will be, um, you will suffer the consequence of it or the benefit of it, depending on which side of the transaction you're on. Um, we look at lots of contracts in our construction law practice, and I would tell you almost every contract that comes across my desk has a valid and enforceable pay when paid provision in it, meaning it has the magic language. I would tell you at this point in my career, it's probably one in a thousand contracts that we look at where someone may have made a mistake in drafting it. Very, very rare. So let's take a look at this magic language that I've been talking about. So for a pay when paid provision to be enforceable, it has to have certain magic words. And those words are very easy to spot. It has to say condition precedent or contingent upon. Let me give you some examples. Here is a provision <clears throat> that um, existed in a contract under no circumstances shall the contractor be obligated to pay the subcontractor until funds have been advanced by the owner. Notice how it does not have the magic language in it. So as a result, courts have held this provision to be unenforceable. What does that mean? That means if I'm a subcontractor and I sign a contract with a general contractor and it has this provision in it, that means that even if the contractor is not paid by the owner, that contractor still has to pay me as the subcontractor. Let's take a look at another one. 
final payment shall be made within 30 days of completion of the construction project acceptance by the owner and as a condition precedent receipt of final payment from the owner so as you can see this provision has the magic language which means if i sign a subcontract with a contractor and it said this if the owner doesn't pay the contractor then the contractor does not have to pay me and to be absolutely clear this means even if I do all my work, I deliver all the materials, I do everything right, if the one thing that is not in my control, that is the owner paying the contractor, if that happens, I still don't get paid. That's why these provisions are so dangerous and you need to be aware of how they work. So let's take a look at each party in this transaction and have a, uh, and kind of dissect what they can do um, to deal with this provision. So if you're a general contractor, um, you wanna make sure that your pay when paid clause has the magic language. So take out your contract with your subcontractors and make sure that it has condition precedent or contingent upon in it where the pay when paid provision exists. More likely than not that it does, but again, you wanna verify that in fact that it's there. If it's not there, um, make sure that you add it and know that if it's missing, then that provision is not going to be enforceable, meaning if you as the general contractor are not paid by the owner, you'll still have to pay your subcontractors. A few other things to keep in mind. If you are a bonded general contractor, your bond on that project is most likely not uh, subject to this pay when paid provision. Meaning, if you bond a project, which means pretty much all public jobs and any private jobs that you bond, if you have a pay when paid provision in your subcontract and it has the magic language and you issue a bond, the subcontractor may not be able to pursue you if you're not paid by the owner, but they can still pursue your surety company, your bond company, because they do not have the legal benefit of your pay when paid provision. So just know if you issue payment and performance bonds for the work that you do, that you may still be liable even though you have a pay when paid provision in your contract. Um, when we represent subcontractors, we recognize this issue and it's significant and we um, we use it to our advantage to get paid. We just pursue the bonding company to get paid, even though there's a pay when paid provision in the contract. Um, so I'm gonna talk about uh, an issue that's a little more complicated now, and that is ways to um, make sure that you as a GC can keep your pay when paid provision enforceable based on the language that exists or may exist in your prime contract. So let me explain how that works. Um, sorry, let me go back. If you are a contractor and you sign a contract with an owner, that owner is going to want to make sure that before they issue the final payment to you, that you, you as the general contractor have paid all your bills. The way they do that is they have a final payment provision in your contract that says before we owner pay you general contractor 
the last payment, you're going to give us a release showing that you've paid all your bills. When that provision exists in your contract um, with the owner, even if you have a valid and enforceable pay when paid provision in your subcontract, so you have the magic language in your subcontract, there are legal cases in the state of Florida that say when those two provisions are read together, meaning the valid pay when paid provision in your subcontract and the um, pay all your bills with the owner in your prime contract, those two things, when they come together, they invalidate your pay when paid provision with your subcontractor. So what does that mean? That means that when you sign a contract with your subcontractors, you want the magic language, but you also want to make sure that when you sign a contract with the owner, that you don't agree to a provision that requires that you pay your vendors in full before the owner pays you. You want to carry those trailing releases a few days past the final payment. By doing that, you will keep your pay when paid provision in your subcontract enforceable. A few other things to, to keep in mind as a general contractor, and you want, you want to keep your subs working during the course of a dispute. This is not directly related to pay when paid, but, but it's an important provision. Many contracts we see contain a provision something like this. Subcontractors shall diligently proceed with the work during any dispute, even as it relates to payment or changes. The existence of a dispute shall not be grounds for any failure to perform by subcontractor. So be aware as a contractor that you want to make sure that you keep your subs working even during the course of a dispute or a non-payment issue. So now as a subcontractor, what can you do um, to deal with these pay when paid provisions? So the first thing I would suggest is in the course of your negotiations with the contractor, try to strike either the provision or the magic language. It doesn't always work. Um, and I'm here to tell you, by the way, uh, for those of you that may think, I can't negotiate my contract with the general contractor, it's take it or leave it. Um, that's not true. Uh, we regularly provide addendums to our subcontractor clients. Um, I'm currently negotiating a multi-page addendum for a several million dollar um, glazing package with a contractor now uh, on behalf of our subcontractor client. Contractors will make more changes than you think. They will. They want you to believe they won't, but if you don't try and don't ask, you won't. You won't make any progress. So I would suggest to you um, work to try to make some changes to your uh, to the general contractor's contract. You may not be able to make changes to the um, pay when paid provision, but you should try. Next, look at the prime contract. I told you many prime contracts incorporate are incorporated into your subcontract and they include a provision in the prime contact contract that requires that the contractor pay all their bills before they can be paid by the owner uh, at final payment. As I told you, those types of provisions, if they exist in the prime contract, can invalidate your pay when paid provision. So um, again, you it may not directly affect your negotiations, but it would be nice to know if that provision existed in the prime contract so that you know that maybe if you get to the end of the job that this pay when paid provision is not enforceable. Here are by far the most important things that you need to be aware of as a subcontractor to deal with the pay when paid provision. Number one, 
secure your lien rights, and number two, secure your bond rights if you have them. Lien rights are not subject to the pay when paid defense, and in most instances, neither are claims on the contractor's payment bond. So if you sign a contract with a contractor, there's a pay when paid provision in it, the owner hasn't paid the contractor, so the contractor doesn't have to pay you. If you properly secure your lien rights, you will still have a lien on the project. The same is true for your rights against a payment bond. Even if the owner doesn't pay the contractor, in most instances, you will still have a claim against the general contractor's payment bond. So absolutely, positively, it is critical that you secure your lien and bond rights. Um, a few other things to keep in mind. Try to negotiate a stop work provision into your contract. You may not be able to prevent a um, or, or delete or change the pay when paid provision, but you probably can include a stop work provision in your contract. So something like subcontractor can slow or stop work without liability or penalty if it has not been paid its draw request in 30 days after submission. Now, maybe it's not 30 days, maybe it's 45, maybe it's 60 days. Um, the key is that on what you want to prevent uh, is the obligation to continue to pay your labor, continue to pay for materials and deliver product to the site when you are not getting paid. So you may not be able to un undo a pay when paid provision, but you at least need to be able to stop the bleeding. And the way you stop the bleeding is to include a specific stop work provision in your subcontract. So let's go back to your lien and bond rights because they are absolutely critical. I'm gonna give you a quick uh, primer on them. So let's talk about in Florida, who has lien um, and bond rights? Laborers, that's John Smith, the carpenter. Um, they have lien rights as people. Architects, engineers, and, and land surveyors, they have lien rights. Contractors, that's anybody that has a direct contract with the owner, they have lien rights. Um, subcontractors, that's anyone that provides labor and materials to a contractor. Sub-subcontractors, material suppliers and rental companies with a contract uh, with the owner, a contractor, a subcontractor, or a sub subcontractor. So this is now the bottom, the furthest you can go down on the lien and bond rights. So if I am a material supplier, maybe I'm a, I provide uh, electrical material to the sub subcontractor, I have lien rights. Um, maybe I rented an excavator to the sub subcontractor, I still have lien rights. That's as far as you go uh, at having lien rights. So who are the folks that don't have lien rights? Material suppliers to material suppliers. So if GE sells switch gear to the electrical supply house, who then sells it to the um, electrician, GE does not have lien rights. The materials of the electrical material supply house does, um, but that's a material supplier to a material supplier. They don't have lien rights. And sub, sub, subcontractors too far down the chain, the, the law does not give them rights under the, the lien law. So let's, again, give you a quick refresher on, on who, uh, on what, on how to secure your lien rights. So step one, no later than 45 calendar days 
from your first work on the job, you need to serve a notice to owner or a notice to contractor. They are very similar forms um, to secure your lien and bond rights. For liens, you don't need to serve it on if you have a direct contract with the owner. So if I'm the general contractor, my contract is with the owner, I don't have to serve a notice to owner to still have lien rights. If I am pursuing a claim on a payment bond, if my contract is directly with the bonded contractor, I don't need uh, to serve a notice to contractor or notice to owner. So if I am the electrician with a con as a subcontractor and my contract is with the bonded general contractor on a you know, school board project, I don't need to serve this first 45 day notice. My advice is that you should have a process in your office that no matter what, any job over a certain amount gets noticed um, so that you avoid having to make a decision on, well, this job I needed and this job I didn't. And Alex told me that, you know, there's this exception when I have a direct contract. More often than not, it, it's usually not worth uh, trying to figure that out. Just notice every job over a certain amount. Within the next step, within 90 days of your last work, you must record a claim of lien um, to secure your lien rights or serve the notice of non-payment to secure your rights against the payment bond. That's 90 calendar days. Um, and know that the last work does not include punch list or warranty work. It has to be real substantive work. It can be base contract work. It can be change order work, but it cannot be punch list or warranty work that counts for those 90 days. When you um, count those 90 days, remember that 90 days is not three months. So if you're counting um, June 7th, July 7th, uh, August 7th, that's a mistake because some months have more than 30 days and some months have fewer than 30 days. So the way you count is you count every calendar day starting the day after your last day of work. So today's my last day of work. Tomorrow is day one. I count every calendar day, um, including weekends and legal holidays. When I get to the 90th day, that's the day that I that the lien has to have been recorded in the public record or has to have been received by the owner and the or the contractor and the surety uh, for the notice of non-payment. The only exception is if the 90th day lands on a Saturday, Sunday, or legal holiday where the courts or mail are closed, then you can roll it to the next business day. So if the 90th day is a Saturday, it goes to Sunday, which then goes to Monday. And if Monday, the courts are closed, so I can't take anything to recording, it would then be Tuesday. Um, that's how you count the 90, the 90 days. Step three, um, for lien rights, if you have uh, recorded your lien, you need to serve a copy of that lien on all interested parties. That's everybody listed in the notice of commencement. Step four, again, only for lien rights, those that have a direct contract with the owner must provide a contractor's final affidavit at least five days before filing suit on the claim of lien. So if you uh, have a direct contract with the owner, you record your lien and you need to serve a contractor's final affidavit. It's a simple form. 
It says, I'm the contractor, I'm uh, owed this much money, uh, this is the owner, and these are the people that are unpaid, if anybody. That doesn't get recorded, it just gets served on the um, owner. That has to happen at least five days before you file suit to foreclose on your claim of lien. Um, and then the, the final step is for liens, you have to file a lawsuit to foreclose on your lien within one year of the recording date of the claim of lien. So if I record my lien today, I have one year to file my lawsuit to foreclose. You should not wait that long, uh, but that's the outside deadline that you have. For claims on a payment bond, you need to file your lawsuit against the bonding company um, and the contractor within one year from your last work. Notice the difference. For liens, it's the recording date of the claim of lien. For bonds, it's one year from your last work. So there's a difference between the two um, on how long you have to pursue those claims. Know that every single rule that I told you has many exceptions. That's why um, you know we can have a law firm uh, with a dozen lawyers that's whose practice is focused exclusively on construction. Um, and that's because these rules are very complicated. Uh, so there's lots of exceptions that you need to be aware of. Um, I've gone over just the high level issues. And with that, if you think of any questions that uh, you have later, feel free to send me an email. Uh, my email address is alex at barthet.com. Again, my name is Alex Barthet with the Barthet Construction Law Firm. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Have a wonderful day.